All right. Uh, how many of you like to be interrupted? Uh, okay, none of you. Uh, we don't enjoy being interrupted, right? And we almost like live in a season of interruptions in this sort of COVID world, right? You're working from home, you got distance learning and everything else being thrown at you. There's more interruptions, I feel like, today maybe than ever. So maybe you dream of a day or a life without interruptions. I know that I think about this all the time. If I, if I told you to think or dream of a really peaceful place, you're probably not picturing your kitchen or your living room or your office at work. In fact, you might not even be picturing anybody with you. And for some of us, interruptions from people are harder than others. Like if you're an introvert, for example... By the way, I feel like it's, anybody else feel this? I feel like it's so trendy to be an introvert right now. I just cannot wait until extroversion comes back in style. But if you're an introvert, right, an interruption is an interruption to your time, your alone time. Or maybe like, maybe like me, I, I'm a, a very serious extrovert, but <clears throat> I'm the exact opposite of the go-with-the-flow type of guy. I mean, when I wake up in the morning, my day is planned to the minute, and an interruption is a detour from the plan that I have in my head. And so we struggle with interruptions, but what if our interruptions are just opportunities? And they're opportunities for us to reflect God's generosity. We are wrapping up our Generous Like a Jesus series this morning. We spent <clears throat> really the first couple of weeks talking about how to be generous with our finances. And today we're going to talk about how do we be generous with our time, especially when we don't really want to be. And today we're just going to look at two verses from the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew is one of the four books about Jesus' life. If you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't, you can use your phone. You just use the Renovation Church app on tap weekly verses. Our two verses are kind of sandwiched in between two other semi-famous stories in the Gospels. Before our two verses is the story of John the Baptist and how he was brutally murdered by King Herod, and Jesus is just about to be informed of it. And then in the second story, after our verses, Jesus miraculously feeds the 5,000. And both of those stories are going to matter as context for our two verses today. So let's take a look. So we're in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. Here's what it says. It says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Okay, so it starts and just says, When Jesus heard what happened. So when he hears that John, the Baptist, the one who baptized him, the great prophet, his family member even, when he hears that he was brutally killed, Jesus is sad. And he decides that he's going to take a break from ministry for a bit. Maybe a day, maybe a weekend, we don't know exactly. But we see here that Jesus' life is hard. You know, we say that a lot here, that life is hard. We don't sugarcoat things. Life was hard even for the Son of God on earth. Life involves many difficulties. We have to experience trauma, death of loved ones, all sorts of challenges. Life is hard. Sometimes I think that we inaccurately have a, have a wrong picture of what life was like for 
Jesus and the disciples. Right? We think about, oh, it would be so amazing to be a disciple and just see all the miracles. But boy, it just must have been exhausting too for Jesus and the disciples. Like they're always on the go, right? They live this sort of itinerant lifestyle. They don't have a home. They just go from town to town to town. The Bible says that the Son of Man, Jesus, has no place to lay his head. Now, secondly, they're ministering and they're experiencing and seeing all of these miracles day after day after day, which you think would be amazing, but that's actually emotionally exhausting too. And then thirdly, the persecution is growing every month that they do ministry for those three years. Like at first, they're just kind of peppered with questions by the religious leaders. And then we see that the Pharisees begin to plot secretly about how they're going to kill them. And now that John the Baptist has been murdered, Luke even tells us that Herod starts to look for Jesus. Now, I think just one of those things would be exhausting, right? The, the traveling or the, the miracles or the persecution. But they've got all three of those things happen, happening at the same time. And so life is utterly exhausting for them. And so Jesus decides <clears throat> that it's time for them to just get away by boat to a solitary place. Now, these two verses are kind of actually in the Gospel of Mark as well, but Mark tells us a little something else about this story. So I'm going to turn, we're just going to read it in Mark, since it's just two verses. It's Mark chapter 6. It says, <clears throat> Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he, Jesus, said to them, to the disciples, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So Jesus, in a sense, has said to his disciples, guys, listen, I know that you're worn out. So let's just get away, like for a day, for a weekend. It'll be kind of like a, a nice, quiet, spiritual retreat. You're going to get some alone time, some really good time with God. It's just going to be, oh, we just need this right now. It's going to be so refreshing. I think we need it too. We need times like that. It's been a long, hard year. You're probably tired. God did not build you just to go, 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 work, 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 stress, stress, stress. That's not what you're built for. We need time to rest and recoup with the Lord. Even more importantly, we need what we like to call Sabbath rhythms. You need rhythms of Sabbath in your life. Daily you need this. You need a time every day, whether it's in the morning or at night, where you just put your phone away, you shut the TV off, you just spend some time with the Lord. You need time like this, a Sabbath a rhythm every week. We have one day, a Sabbath, where you don't work. You don't check your email. You don't look at your texts from work. You don't work. You spend extra time just relaxing. Time with your family, time with God. And I think we need a Sabbath rhythm even on an annual basis. That you just have a time. If you can do this, I know it's challenging for different people just to have a week where you can get away even. Spend extra time with God, your family, working on your faith. Sabbath rhythms. By the way, if you're really interested in this topic, um, a couple years ago we did an entire message on the concept of Sabbath rhythms. If you go to our website on our messages page, there's a super cool tool. You can actually search any message by even words given in the message. So you can just type in Sabbath rhythms. Uh, Actually, all you need to know is how to spell rhythm. So (laughs) good luck with that. Ask Siri or something. Okay. But part of finding a rhythm to just meet with God and refresh and reset and relax is you've got to find a spot for it, to just be with God. Actually, I saw a good example of it 
of that. Just this week, I was reading a little bit from Mark Batterson, who's a Christian author, and he, he wrote a little bit about Susanna Wesley. I don't know if you know much about Susanna Wesley, but uh, she's a famous, famous Christian woman um, from the 1700s. Uh, Susanna Wesley, if you think you have a large family, uh, Susanna Wesley gave birth to 19 children. 19 children, two of which were the very famous duo of uh, Charles and John Wesley. And if you think your life is hard, listen to just a bit of her biography. Uh, Susanna Wesley, and her her biography doesn't read all that different than any woman's in the 1700s. Susanna Wesley gave birth to 19 children. Nine of them died in their infancy. Nine. Another one of her children was accidentally smothered by the maid. Lived in a small house. Husband was at work taking care of a ton of kids at once. Unbelievably traumatic, stressful, hard. And yet history tells us this was one of the most amazing women to ever live. She raised two of the greats in history, in Charles and John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church. And the Methodist Church, back in the 1700s, especially through the 1800s, even a little bit into the early 1900s, was one of the great movements of God. Just incredible Bible-believing movement back then. They just spread the gospel all over America as it went westward and just through England and just amazing, amazing work. And they all pointed back always to their mom, to their mom, to Susanna. And Susanna Wesley, despite her incredibly hard life, her chaotic home, her small home, full of children running around, her biographers say that she had her spot in her house, a spot where she met with Jesus every day. And the kids just knew about the spot. She would go to a rocking chair in the middle of her living room, and she would literally throw her blanket over her head. And that was her tent of meeting with the Lord. Everybody knew that was Susanna's time, or mom's time with God. And we all need places like that. I think the question that our test is going to ask us today is, but what do you do when you're interrupted? How do you respond? Look at our verses one more time. It's so short, we can look at it again, because I want to point something out. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. They're trying to get away. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So think about this. Put yourself in the story. Jesus and the disciples, they get in a boat, and they're trying to get away across a, a bit of the lake, kind of cutting a corner across the lake so they can get to a more remote region. But as they finish getting across the lake, <clears throat> bringing up the boat, they're all talking to each other about just how refreshing this weekend is going to be. And they look up, and there up on the hill is this massive crowd smiling at them. The crowd chased them down on foot. And if you're one of the disciples, what are you thinking? Let me tell you what I'm thinking. I'm going like this. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. This is unbelievable. I'm going, Jesus, Jesus, I got this. You leave this to me. (laughs) I'm going to tell these people that we're trying to have a retreat here, and this is not on the agenda. I mean, this would be like, 
Okay, let's say your work this year has been incredibly stressful, which it probably has for most of you. And let's say you finally book a week away at a cabin somewhere in northern Minnesota. And you get up to northern Minnesota and you're, ah, you're breathing in the fresh air and you walk up to this cabin you rented and you open the door and you walk in and there's your boss <laughs> with a to-do list for the week. That's what it's like. Or it'd be like if you've got a bunch of little kids... Now, many of you do, and you finally get a weekend away with your spouse. First time in like three years. And you get up to this Airbnb that you rented, or a hotel, or wherever it is, and you open the door, and there's grandma with your little kids saying, Surprise! I thought you'd love seeing the kids! <laughs> right? That's exactly how you would feel. You think, you got to be kidding me. I was just, I've been looking forward to for so long, just getting away and relaxing and refilling. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. But thankfully, Jesus isn't us. He says Jesus had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. And the word compassion here is actually really important. In the Greek, it means to feel so deeply for someone that you feel it deep down in your gut. Like if I'm the 13th disciple, say my name is Davidius or something, right? I'm going, Jesus, get these people out of here. But Jesus feels so much compassion for them that he's going to heal their sick all day long. And here's what I actually noticed about the chapter for the very first time this week is he, they get there, it must be sometime kind of in the morning, and he heals the sick all day, and it's later that same day that Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's the same day when they're supposed to be having their quiet, solitary retreat. And if you read through the rest of Matthew chapter 14, I encourage you to read it this week, there is a point when they start doing the feeding of the 5,000 that the disciples literally say, just send the people home. They've had enough, but Jesus has compassion in his generosity. And so it's maybe good to think about, okay, how would you react if you were a disciple, if you were in that story? But I think it's even better to ask the question, how do you respond when you are interrupted in real life? Where would you put yourself on the scale? How do you respond? Especially if you're interrupted when you're trying to relax, or you're trying to refill, or you're trying to Sabbath, or you're trying to just meet with God. Like, say you... How do you respond in this scenario? Say if you've got young kids or many of you are older and you think back to when you have kids or if you don't have kids, just imagine, right? Say you've got young kids and you finally get them down for a nap. Anybody with like toddlers and preschoolers, you know what I mean? Like you get them down, they're in their room, it's quiet, you walk back to your living room and you sit in your chair and you go, and just as you finish breathing, you hear, Mom? Dad? What? I had an accident. I'll tell you how I respond. No, I shouldn't. Then I won't be the pastor here anymore. I'm just kidding. Uh, Right? We we get upset. How do we respond? Well, let's say you finally, this, this tonight, you're going out on a date. Right? And you've been looking forward to this for like two weeks. It's so amazing. You're going out on a date. But your friend texts you. And they say, your best friend, they say, oh, friend, I've just had the hardest week imaginable. I need to get together, go out to coffee, and tell you about my life tonight. You're going to put my date is tonight. How do you respond when life interrupts you? Or maybe you've just had a really hard year. 
but you just keep getting interrupted by a needy family member. Maybe it's a sibling or an adult child. could even be a parent. How do you respond? Or maybe you come to church and you just think, oh, finally I'm just at church for someone to just pour into me. And some pastor on stage keeps talking about, oh, you're here to pour into other people. Right? In reality, we're interrupted all the time. And so often, I think that as Christians, as modern-day Christians, we fail to look like Jesus when we're interrupted. You know why this is? It's actually really not that different than when we were talking about finances for the last two weeks. We miss the heart of Jesus when we look at portions of our lives and we say, this is my time. Just like you miss the heart of Jesus as we were talking about. Whenever you look at a portion of your finances and you say, this is my money. We miss his heart when we make hard distinctions like that. I mean, think about it. Jesus easily could have gotten you know, ashore and dismissed the crowd. I actually think as Americans, we wouldn't even blink if the text said something like this. And then, seeing the crowd, Jesus reminded them how important it was for him to spend time with his father, dismiss them, and ask them to come back tomorrow at 9. I think we would read that as Americans and go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense, right? He's a really organized guy. (laughs) That's not how he responds. His actions arise out of his generous heart, which always puts others before himself, all the way to his death. We've been saying this all year, that this is the model of a Christ follower. We imitate Jesus by putting others before ourselves. But you can't do that if you live as if large sections of your life are my time. Now, I can, your objections to this are so loud, I can actually hear them in your head right now. Because some of you are going, but what about boundaries? David, boundaries. Don't I need to just tell people no once in a while? Absolutely. Or maybe you've been thinking, well, shouldn't I have boundaries, though, when it's like my time alone with God? Absolutely. Guard that. Guard it well. You know, one of the things that I've done as a pastor is I'm really serious about guarding my Sabbath my day off, which for me is Monday. But I'm also learning, and the scripture teaches, that it can't be an absolute rule. Right? It's not law. And at the end of the day, it's not your time. Because your life is meant to be lived as a generous blessing. And often I think we just miss those interruptions as opportunities of what God wants to do through us in that moment because we're just so focused on my time. And Jesus is such a perfect balance for us, such an example. You, you see Jesus valuing rest, Sabbath, recuperation often in the Gospels. I mean, he talks about it often. Jesus goes alone by himself on a mountain to pray. And yet, it's not a hard and fast rule. How many times in the Gospels do you see Jesus on his Sabbath, his day of rest, purposefully going out and healing someone in need? And he's kind of able to do that because he still has rhythms of rest. And he's okay letting them get interrupted once in a while to bring God's heart to another person. And I actually think we miss this a little bit because of our modern self-care movement. Self-care, which people throw out all the time nowadays, which is basically taking care of yourself through rest, through healthy eating, through sleep, through alone time. I think the problem with it's great, it's important, but I think the problem with it is nowadays I see people use that as a trump card to get out of serving other people. We say, well, I would come help you move, or I would come listen to your hard day, 
but I just got to do some self-care right now. I just, I got to, I got to take care of my, myself. I got to focus on myself. Now, surely there are some people that we all know, maybe it's even you, that just need more self-care in their lives. They have no boundaries, and they're just running their self into the ground, serving, serving, serving. But I'll tell you what, in my experience as a pastor, that is an incredibly small minority of the modern American population. The rest of us are not being generous with the help that we could give people because we have to make sure that we relax and recuperate to the tune of sitting in front of a screen 55 hours a week, according to Nielsen. We don't need any more self-care. That's sloth. That's not self-care. Again, certainly people need it. But the reality is that's not most of us. And we use it as an excuse rather than being generous with our time. This is why studying who Jesus is, studying the word of God is so important so we can reflect him. Now I want you to think about this. Put yourself into the text, into Matthew 14. I want you to think like a person in that huge crowd because the people in the crowd, they are hurting. They are sick in their body. Some have diseases that are going to take their life. Others are sick in their soul and they just need the words of Jesus to save them. I want you to pretend that you're in the crowd and your life is on the brink. In fact, let's say that you've maybe already walked for two days just to hear Jesus because you heard he was in the area. And surely that's what people did. And you get to town and word gets out that you just missed him and he just left in a boat. Now, at first, you're just defeated because you've walked for two days. But then rumors start circulating amongst the crowd, and they say, Jesus was just seen heading in a boat, and they think that he's going to a place just around the bend of the lake. But it's not a few feet away. In fact, it's a number of miles away. But you need Jesus. And so with the crowd, you just start running. And you're running, and you're running, and you're running, and the blisters are starting to grow on your feet, and your heart feels like it's just going to pound right out of your chest because you're not used to running that much, and you keep running and running. All the while, you're thinking, I don't even know if it's worth it. I don't even know why I'm doing this because he's never going to heal me. He left. He got in his boat so he could get alone, not see a crowd. That's what they said. Why would he heal me right now? But you need Jesus, so you just keep running and running and running, and you get there just seconds before Jesus pushes his boat up onto the sand. As he steps onto the shore, you're just sort of like this. You're kind of bracing. You're just waiting for Jesus to yell at you, to say, don't you know that this is my alone time? This is my time for me. You're just kind of bracing for it. But instead of looking mad, Jesus sees you. He smiles at you. He walks over to you. He grabs your hands in his. And he says, what's your name? Tell me your story. And he listens. And he looks at you with love. And he puts his hands on you. And he heals you. That's who Jesus is. So you you got to know this. When you study this text, you can come to Jesus at any time, friend. Any time. God is never too busy. You can come to him at 
two in the afternoon, at midnight, at three in the morning, come to Jesus. And my Christian friends, that is who we want to reflect to the people around us, even if they come to us when we're busy. I mean, think about this. I just think about this. Oh, what we could do for this world if that is what they saw in us when they came to us. You know what I mean? What if people saw that when they felt like they were interrupting us? And so see your interruptions, not as interruptions, but as opportunities. Opportunities to reflect the generosity of Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that as we study you, we just see how absolutely incredible you are. And I just feel this week studying this, I just feel like I don't measure up. And yet I thank you for your grace, that you know I don't measure up, and you love me anyway, and you died for me. But God, we ask for your special grace this week as we're interrupted, and we know we will be. God, may we look like you. May we reflect you. May people see our generous heart, and may that draw them to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.